Welcome to the Life in the Stocks podcast, ladies and gentlemen. My name's Matt Stocks. I'm the host, and the show features unedited, in-depth, candid conversations with a wide range of musicians, actors, comedians, and creatives. If you're not already, be sure to subscribe to Life in the Stocks on your favorite podcast platform. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and indeed all major podcast platforms. Be sure to give me a follow on Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok as well, at MattStocksDJ. That way you can keep up to date with all of my live Q&A dates, my DJ performances, and of course, who's coming up on the show as well. But without further ado, let's crack on with the show, shall we? Here we go. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hey, Kevin, how are you? How are you, Matt? Yeah, doing great. Sorry to keep you waiting, man. No, that no, was no a, problem. Uh, good. An, an overrun on behalf of Spike Slauson. <laughs> well, I'm sure he had lots to say. <laughs> he did. He's an interesting character, as I'm sure Absolutely. you're well aware. I'm sure you're well Absolutely. aware. Absolutely. Absolutely. So how, how, are you, how are you doing over there? Yeah, doing good, man. Doing good. It's, um, I think it's just lovely to be back in life. You know, for a while, there was that transitory period. And obviously, I know that there's a lot of behind the scenes headaches for everybody involved in the live side of things. Um, Constant reroutes. I think we're a microcosm of society. I think those headaches are transcending society as a whole right now. And uh, I was having a discussion uh, the other night with a a good friend, uh, Sherry Saidi, just about the exhaustion everyone's feeling, you know, um, that we went from this lifestyle we all led to zero, if especially in the live business side, almost overnight, and then kind of rebuilt slowly and everyone kind of figured out, you know, their, what they could do during that pandemic time to get through. And then everyone put their foot on the gas again. And I just don't think the human nature was, was quite ready for it. So I, it's amazing how many people I talk to that are just say, I'm exhausted. I don't know why I'm exhausted. I'm just tired. I think collect, 
<laughs> collectively we need time to heal from from events like that don't we and and actually i was really fortunate in that i used a lot of the downtime to do that self-reflect and and i wrote two books and did a lot of inner work which had been going uh, undone for many many years so for me i think i acknowledged the severity and the scale of what was happening and stepped back and and now feel in a place like i'm ready to step back in and um and continue to have productive conversations which is one of the many things i love about one of the you know many things that i do as a human <laughs> and um yeah. i i'm really pleased we're you know having this moment to connect i met your daughter on the emo cruise um right. and i had a lovely chat with her and what i loved about her energy was that she was like you know i i don't work for six man um i have my own job that i do and i've actually taken time off from that job to be here just because i love the music and i was like wow how um how real is that and i guess that comes from the environment obviously she's her own person but we, we absorb the environment that we grow up in right and if you grow up around live events and you're excited just to be there even though you're working it but you're also excited just by the prospect of it yeah um, i think she's gonna be actually in london i think in a day or two she's coming through with avril levine yep she's out on the road so she'll be coming through and uh but you know as my wife says you know she's your daughter uh she's twice as good as you at half the price so uh <laughs> you know, you know, I'm very proud of her and very proud of my other daughter who picked up a lot about the environmental stuff that we were trying to do out on tour. And she followed the path of science and has that job with a, a corporation doing their environmental work right now and and health and safety. And, you know, they, they both chose their own way. Um, but I think it was might have been Sierra's blood. She's got that energy that she likes to just go, go, go. And, you know, or my other daughter likes a little more structure and she can kind of step away for a moment once in a while. Uh, but the love of music's still there. You know, I, I just spent the weekend out at Coachella with my daughter. And now she, turns me, now she turns me on to a bunch of bands I have to check out. And the cycle continues. So what was, was there a festival that predated Lollapalooza? That I forget the name and it's really annoying me that the name does escape me, but it was kind of like a desert party. A little bit mad maxi and was there a guy involved in that who is now involved in coachella and there's kind well, of a lineage from that to lollapalooza obviously that's where you started but am i right in thinking that well we actually you know going all the way back to 1993 uh we were battling helping pearl jam battle Ticketmaster, and i was doing all the production for golden voice who is the promoter for for coachella and paul tolette um who runs coachella now we were in college together we back we're back in university together and i was running the production on their shows and our first adventure out in the desert was we met al hagan who owned the, the polo fields when we were looking for somewhere with no ticket master fees right you know we're, we're talking about ticket master fees now and and all this kind of stuff but you know we're going all the way back to 93 people were complaining about those fees too and Pearl Jam was trying to find places to play. And Al said, I have some polo. I have some grass fields. I, I bought the land for, I don't know, buck an acre or whatever. He bought it back then and, and built his dream place to play polo horse with his friends. And uh, he said, come out and take a look. And we went out there and they brought me out. And I said, I can pull it together. We had, we had no idea what we were doing for trying to build a field show at that point, really. And, uh, but we said we could pull it off and we actually pulled off a Friday night show for Pearl Jam. And uh, they raised, they made a bunch of money that day. Um, it was tricky. 
but they made quite a bit of money to help them on some of their other shows they were doing to come back to play with no ticket fees. Yeah. So before that, there was a, a you know some raves, some desert raves out there put on by like Phil Blaine and a few people. Um, but I really think it was in the back of Paul's mind that he could come back out here and, and do a festival out on those polo fields. And you know, it, it changed that area. I mean, it changed music in a way. I mean, that festival, you know, changed music and I got to see him. We hung out a little bit, little bit um, over the last weekend at, at the festival site. And, you know, we were talking about, you know, where, where, where did we come from? You know, I, I created something that became pretty well known in the United States as well as around the world, but a traveling festival. And he created them, you know, comparatively to, I guess, Glastonbury you have in the UK and, but in the U S Coachella's world known uh, music fest. And where did we get instilled that mindset to kind of deliver these type of shows to fans? And that would stem from a guy named Gary Tovar. Um, Gary Tovar was the original founder of Golden Voice. His story is pretty well known. He was also a, a large distributor of marijuana at the time and was using, uh, the money to fund bringing bands from the UK over. So he was responsible for bringing Susie and the Banshees over and some of these bands, Bauhaus and these kind of bands. He was a huge fan of this and started using his money to bring these bands to the US for the first time. And, uh, but he always wanted to deliver extra to the fans. Uh, you know, Gary was always coming to me. I, I wanna add this band or I wanna do this thing or I found this really cool place to do a show. So I think he instilled in us a little something that, that thread through our DNA you know, for 30, 40 years later, um, we've got to hang out and we were talking about uh, some of the things we were able to, you know, we, we rarely in this business have any time to kind of reflect on what we've done because we're always trying to move forward. Mm -hmm. But as I get a certain point in, in life, you never want to look back and go, that's the last, you know, but we did something that no one had really done. Um, and it, it was a good run. We, you know, I've had, I had a wonderful run with it. Uh, you know, you never want to say never. Like you said, you're getting the energy to do interviews and get back into talking and, and getting back into it. I don't know. I'm you know, maybe getting that little itch and bug and maybe enough people and maybe enough times passed that people are starting to say nice things about me on the Internet again. You know, <laughs> um, you have to go you have to go away for a few years for people to maybe uh, maybe realize uh, what you did was a pretty good thing for 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 a lot of people. I mean, I laughed there, but it did get. I'm, I'm led to believe pretty dark for a while. Right. And, and this is the rise of, of voices of dissent online um, in, yeah, in tangent know. with, you know, the and my problem was, I believe I thought, because I came from that punk rock world, like, you know, we could have those conversations, but those were usually face to face conversations in front of my tour bus where people would come by my office that I thought everyone deserved an answer, you know, and you realize that on the internet, people, one, a lot of them weren't really real people that were attacking you. Two, some of them were, many of them were multiple personalities with the multiple, same person with multiple that just, and if you responded, it fed them, it fed that energy. And we see that, you know, we see that in everyday life. You know, you watch social media and if you feed those people, and I believed every, I thought everyone deserved an answer. So I'd be left late at night trying to answer. You know, because, you know, look, no one's going to run anything in life for 25 years uh, and deal with thousands of people. And especially later on, when I didn't know as many of those people personally, when I started this tour, when you say Spike to me or someone you've interviewed from that era, I know them. we grew up together. 
we understood, we knew there was a few bad eggs in punk rock, but we naturally weeded them out. Later on, I was dealing with thousands of people that I didn't quite know and sometimes depended on other people who I trusted to kind of endorse those people. And, you know, I felt like I was always kind of trying to do right. And I had to make decisions, right or wrong. You have to make them when you're going to be lead something and live and die by your decisions. And if you make a bad decision, you learn from those to try to not to repeat those decisions. Um, and it was, it was just frustrating. It, it got a little frustrating around 2017. Um, you know, uh, and then I just was like, okay, you know what? Timed out perfect, if you think about it. I, I timed a global pandemic perfectly, I guess. <laughs> uh, yeah. You know, I said, uh, I'll go out one last year and, and kind of make it more of a retro kind of a, a tour of those older bands. I said, I only want to tour with people I knew. Um, so I knew that. What was the name of that one? I really wish I'd made it out for that. That was all like bad religion and no effect. Yeah, and... That was 2018. And a lot yeah. of the old bands came and things. And, and then I did that other festival. I did um, 2018. I did the It's Not Dead Festival. That's the where yeah, I had yeah, bad yeah, religion. Yeah. And that my wife was funny with that one because I came home and 2017 was a rough year. You're going to have a rough year uh, for multiple reasons. This, this stuff online. Uh, the weather was horrible out there. We just had this really rough year. And I said, I need to feed my soul. I need to do something because that was the world I grew up with. Those bands sung to me the same way maybe a, a day to remember or my chemical romance or some of these bands speak to people now. I need to get around those people again. And I'm not around them that much anymore. So I created that It's Not Dead Festival. My wife goes, couldn't you just have a barbecue or something and not have to try to do a festival for 35,000 people? Where's the fun in that? <laughs> you know, I, and uh, it was super fun. Gosh, my gosh, you know, um, that was just, it was total, it was like an old school warp show. You know, no one knew what time they were going to play. The fans accepted it. They came early. Uh, we had a great day. Everyone said, God, aren't you worried about putting all these punk bands in one place? I go, we're all old now. You run around in circles twice and you got to catch your breath. You know, it's like it's, you, you don't have the energy to mosh and, or slam dance all night or circle pits. I, I like the circle pits. They did like two rotations and then got slower and slower. About the fourth one. Right to like a halt. Hands on their knees. Oh, yeah. So, you know, but that music was really important. And I had a wonderful time producing that festival. And we did a second one, which was great with Rancid and Dropkick and um that's no, all my music that is that's again you know i'm a little bit younger but that is the music that raised me and speaks to me and they're all the bands that i have on the show and, and have toured with and, and just love and um it feels like a real community still and i think that is what you fostered for so many years um if i can be so bold it did seem like every individual island within the overall umbrella of let's call it punk rock seemed to come together and get behind the warp tour in a way that was genuinely heartfelt and meaningful. And you obviously had labels back then that were big power players within a music industry that was, you know, still thriving. And, um, yeah, just it's, I never got to go, but it always seemed growing up as a UK kid, like the Holy grail for that scene. Uh, well, yeah, you know, it was interesting because, you know, Brett Gurowitz actually summed it up one day to me in the parking lot. He goes, because what you've created is an umbrella, Kevin, for all of us to get under, to keep the scene strong. And now we might have to go kick each other's ass in business in September. If we saw a great young band here or found a great young band, that might want to sign them. You might guys might want to sign them to side one dummy. You know, Epitaph might want to sign them or maybe a major. But, but 
for that summer, we all did go out and support each other. Um, it was a nice way to tour. Um, I think touring for me, I'd, I'd worked with Nine Inch Nails. I worked with a great artist, but it just wasn't, to me, it was like, a, it wasn't, I had to create something for myself to stay in the music business. And that, I guess, Warp, Warp was what I created. I, I, didn't, I didn't work in certain cir circumstances. I did fine, but I really, that fed my soul. Like you said, it feeds your soul, that music. And then I did all those other projects, you know, Taste of Chaos and Mayhem and Country Throwdown, Latin tours. I did a lot of lifestyle branded tours where I could use my knowledge and what I learned on Warp Tour. And that to me was more like trying to bring that lifestyle, their lifestyle to that audience the same way we had it with Warp. It worked sometimes and it didn't work sometimes. Well, it's interesting because now that seems to me to be the currency of live events. You know, whether it is the cruisers and Sick Man have really kind of done an amazing thing there oh, yeah. and they've got every pocket of the entertainment, you know, world covered. But it is the case, I think, specifically with America. And you look at these and is it Danny Wimmer is the other dude? But they see Danny Wimmer does wonderful the metal, in the metal world. Kind of that he's got that some great events around there. Yeah, they're all curated around, as you say, the lifestyle in the same way that Warped was and obviously Lollapalooza was. And I think. As time goes on, um, not to sort of look too cynically at the future of, of big events, because everybody's always saying, where's the next headliners? But I feel like it's all about what it's always been, which is just servicing the scenes, right? The individual niche areas, because collectively together, we're, we're all bigger, whatever your scene is, whether it is country, oh. whether it is metal, whether it is rave. Oh, absolutely. I think, you know, we, and I think we hear a lot about like with Web3 and some of these things they're talking community community we need to have community i go we had community punk rock was a community you know um there you can have these and i'm seeing it out here and you know out here in this kind of surf reggae kind of vibe going on in california they've got the same thing going with this these cali roots festivals they do and cali vibes where it's not necessarily about the headliner it's about the culture of the event and well curated events where like-minded people can gather and if you could bring the brands in that support them, if you bring the political ideas and the nonprofits together, I think that's what really people want. They want that entertainment. And like you said, I don't know if if it's if I don't know chasing those big headliners is is going to be as important as creating the community around your events. Can I ask you this? And I don't want to linger for too long on like a negative topic, but I do think it's interesting that this coincided with your kind of stepping back from Warped was with the Dickies situation, because for many years, you'd obviously, I think, attempted and succeeded to straddle both generations and bring everybody together. Although there was dissent in certain corners and, you know, maybe there was bands that weren't happy with certain bands on the bill and vice versa, but did it feel to you like that just blew up and kind of presented a bit of a negative corner? That of was, uh, that, that's when I realized that I was trying, that the generations were too far apart, you know? And as we talk about the way society reacts now um, to things that were maybe said in the 80s, to someone that's in their teens or 20s now, what we may have taken as humor is not humorous to a generation. And we were trying to tour, at that point, I really sat there and go, I realize I have teenagers on this tour to 60 year olds, okay? 
um, we had six decades of people out on that road, on the road together. And right or wrong, um, you know, and I'm not, I love the day. I worked with the Dickies tons of time. I, 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 I was that panic. And what they would say to me, I could read their cynicism and humor into it where, you know what, someone 19 or 20 years old, that's not where we're at for them. You know, um, and then we go back and people said, oh, the Dickies got kicked. They, they were, that, that was their last show anyhow. So yeah. that was, they were scheduled to leave the tour that day anyhow. I did, <laughs> so, hear, I did hear though from, um, I just spoke to Sean Stern recently from Punk Rock Bowling. And I did hear that they have stopped doing the puppet shtick. I think as a, you know, as a result of that, and th they've made that choice themselves. They've gone, maybe, you know, it's not right in today's world or whatever. And they're being mindful of that. And that's positive, I think. But yeah, as you say, when you're trying to please, absolute, yeah, it's, it's, and it's like trying to govern America, right? It's an impossible task. <laughs> oh yeah. I mean, like I said, we're a microcosm of society right now. I mean, I'm sitting talking to you and there's been another mass shooting today in, in America. And wow, I didn't it just, know that. And you know, it's daily. We have a shooting daily in this country. It's we're we're it's ridiculous now, you know. And it filters down to everything we do now, you know. When you put on an event, you the mindset that we have to put into um, thinking about that that we didn't have to think about twenty years ago, twenty five years ago, well, fifteen years ago. Um, security for people. And now people are, you know, wondering about that ticket price. Ticket prices have been going up, you know, on shows. But people don't realize that the expense for security, insurance, everything going into this keeps going up. The need for police at shows keeps going up. And you don't, as a producer, you don't, there's no argument there. That's the price you pay. Yeah, you're not haggling on safety, are you? Otherwise, then you get like a uh, a Woodstock '99 type situation. Yeah, you? and you're not going to have that now. They're just not going to let you do your event. Yeah. you know, uh, we had a festival camp, this bamboozle festival, just canceled in um, in Atlantic City this weekend because he just didn't have his permits to get. Just the city just said you're not organized enough. Our liking, we're pulling your permits one week before the show. Do you remember and, that Woodstock situation at the time? What was the reaction at the time? Was it as catastrophically awful at the time as it is with the benefit of hindsight? Well, I, we were actually, Warped Tour was in, near there. We were in Boston, right outside Boston that same weekend. We were kind of bouncing around the East Coast. Now, Warped Tour was doing fifteen to 20,000 people, one-day event, 50% females. You know, it's a whole, Warped Tour was a whole different dynamic. Warped Tour was really diehard music fans. That's what I called you as a fan or anyone else. You got there at 11 o'clock in the morning. You wanted, you didn't want to miss any bands. So our dynamic was different, but I'll remember that Saturday afternoon when things started to go haywire down in uh, that, out in the, the, the air force base that they were having the event on a bunch of police all of a sudden materialized at our show. And I went over and spent some time with it and they go, we're here just in case it turns into Woodstock. And I'm like, you know, as a warp tour, there's kids walking around. I said, we're different. We're going to be done at 830 tonight while the lights out. We don't really have alcohol sales. There's a few beers, but it's not. And um, I just remember it, it, it definitely affected a few dates there. We all of a sudden had more police presence at our shows than, than normal. And guess what the police do? They write them. They, if they decide you need more police, they give you a bill for more police. 
Did you watch the documentary? Oh yeah, I yeah. watched the documentary. It's John Shear. That's the crazy thing about the music industry. We have the shortest memory in the world. John Shear is still a promoter, and he still takes no responsibility for that show. It's like I hear that McFarland guy, the guy who did the Fire Fest, is saying he's going to do another Fire Fest. Are you kidding me? I mean, most of us worked our whole lives to get a chance to produce the type of shows. I worked 13 years in the clubs before I went out to Lollapalooza and worked on that tour before I did my tour. But, you know, our industry is enamored by shiny objects and someone with a bag of cash is all of a sudden a festival producer sometimes. Well, what I think that you did, which is really rare and unique and, and, and incredible, is you showed you could make money and be a good person. And, you know, those two things don't need to be mutually exclusive, do they? As the Warp Tour proved year in, year out. And, um, yeah, man, I think that I'm well, imagining you're not somebody who likes to sit and, and look back and just kind of, you know, bask in your own glory. But um, that must be something that you are proud of, is that you did it yeah. with integrity and morals. Well, I decided what the best use of my time right now. Now, like I said, I might be getting itchy. There might be something coming up here. But I found out the best use of my time. I felt we were always kind of a, a, a classroom. Work was semi a classroom. We had a lot of young bands learning the tour. We had young crew people out there. We had young companies out there that grew together and grew into people that are now leaders of the, the music, live music scene. So when I had the opportunity in 2018, I look at timing in life too as very fortuitous. I was approached at becoming a full-time professor at a university. And, you know, you had Greg Graffin who for science and you, you know, you have all these, me, I had it because I produced live events and I knew how to work with. And I, I said, well, this could be a great time for me because physically I destroyed my body. About four hours before I'm talking to you, I had a, a procedure at a hospital to try to so I could lift my arm over my head. I probably should have let a few more kids in barricades drop on their heads instead of catching them all those years, you know, or at least taking their phone number addresses. So maybe they own a restaurant or a hotel I can go visit now. But I, I, I thought that, well, this would be a good time for me as my physical body, because I was always very active. I never sat in a production office. Anyone knows me. I was in the middle of my shows, but my body's broken really is. And I go, well, maybe this chance to work at this university. And my wife goes, why would you teach at a university? Why would you teach kids to do what you did? How crazy your life was? I said, if I can teach them to do it with a little integrity, have a little philanthropic bent and just be nice, we'll have a better industry. And, and, a better world. and I'm doing that now. And I get to work with 70 to hundred kids every year. For four years, I get a new one. Now I'm getting a lot of them that are real young trying to come into this university. And it feels good because all those kids that are out running things, Warp Tour used to be kind of a, you worked on Warp Tour, that's not a real tour. That's what the old world used to say. Warp Tour, that's not a real concert tour. Well, it grew under the tour where those people gained a lot of respect because they knew they worked hard, they didn't complain, and they had good attitude. They would just, that Warp Tour crew people, kind of are running the festival, a lot of festivals out there now. And now they see USC student and they go, Kevin was your teacher. I'm going to give you a chance. So out of Coachella, 10, 12 of my students out there for their first time working festival. And I'm getting emails now, your students kicked ass. We're hiring them for the summer or they're getting, or they're emailing me and saying, I'm going to North Carolina to work this festival, or I'm being brought in on Danny Wimmer's festivals. So that's the best use of my time right now, I felt. And it really worked out for the pandemic because 
that would have been tough going the fast paced lap I had, but allowed me to slow down, take stock, like you said, of yourself and then figure out, but I was able, I was still teaching two days a week online, which was kind of kept that at least focused on that. And now I'm having a great time. I mean, I'm excited uh, about the kids, a lot of someone graduating and 30 or 40 of my students are walking out with jobs. I think it's the best thing you can do with your experience. It's something I aim to do by the time I hit 40. I'm 37 now is train in some form of education so I can pass on, whether it's my industry experience or just um, more of like an English kind of literary professor because I did English at university. But I, I'm at a point in my life where I want to pass on that knowledge and experience and, and, and help other people along the way. And then when you see that in result and in effect, it has to be, I think, and you don't do it for this, but it has to be a, a beautiful perk of the job. And um, I recently had on the show Lisa Brownlee, who obviously oh. worked with you for the whole thing. And and you see now you're talking about like credibility within the industry because of the affiliation with that brand. You know, she's obviously been responsible for getting this museum up and off the ground and getting all of these artifacts off people. And I, I don't know if she wasn't attached to it, whether people would have been as ready, right, to have, here's well, my I, guitar I met, from my first tour or whatever it was. Yeah, I actually met Lisa when I was the stage manager for Lollapalooza in 1991. Wow. She was actually she was actually out in a booth making the first energy drink like out of powder and selling them to the audience. And that's where we met first met. So it's those long term relationships. And yes, now Lisa is a, a great tour manager. She's mentoring. Anytime I have especially like a young female who wants to get in the business, Lisa is first I email her and she sets up a time to meet with all these people I work with and have worked with are more than willing to mentor my students. And I think we, I'm, our, our industry, especially in punk rock and other industries too, but I come from that world. We had to do it ourselves. We had to become successful, our, like make a living. And I know we take a lot of shit sometimes from people will say that we took, but I don't think anyone that, that did well in punk rock ever took advantage of punk rock, if that makes sense. If, if you're going to, punk rock wouldn't allow you to be around for 40 years if they felt you were completely taking advantage of the scene. Yeah. Um, well, you're not ones profiting who been, off people, are you? You're profiting off hard work and putting on, you know, events or putting out work, whatever it is. But what you're doing is you're servicing the scene and then you're taking a cut as a reward, which is, you know, totally fair, just and honorable. And I, and I think, you know, it's, if you look at it and, and we, it's been lovely to do this, but then you, all of a sudden, you know, you got, you know, well, you get, you had Fat Mike, the vision for the punk rock museum. You had Fletcher, the muscle, I call him the muscle. <laughs> yeah. 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 He, yeah. Yeah. He, he was kind of the strong arm. He was a strong arm, strong arming the investment strong arm, you know? Do you know what <laughs> you, you'll know this and you'll be able to speak to this, but I had no idea how actually deceptively smart Fletcher is because he presents a certain image of himself. And I was sat in Manchester with him a few months ago, just before the museum had opened. And he's talking about the construction and just like, you know, the, the kind of physics that go into a lot of the work that's happening and, and then just the business side of it. And I was like, wow, this guy's way more astute than I ever gave him. Credit oh, he, he's actually brilliant. You know, I mean, he really is. And, you know, and I look at the it, muscle too. <laughs> he's a muscle. And, and, and Fat Mike is a brilliant individual, you know? Um, and then, you know, as this came together, they took their brilliance and realized they needed to bring in other people to help them with that vision and brought in Lisa Brownlee and Mona Connor, the people that were the 
the, the nuts and bolts day-to-day people to kind of move the project forward. Have you been and out then, there yet? Have you seen it yet? You know, I, <laughs> I haven't, honestly. I've seen it through people sending me photos and different things. And I'm going to get, I'll be seeing it soon. Um, I've just been so busy with school. Um, and I, you know, I, I keep busy with other projects. I do my benefit golf tournaments. I now do that benefit show the night before uh, the uh, the punk uh, the when we were young festival. I carry my what I was about the philanthropic side of myself. Everyone said you have to be up here. These are all the bands you worked with. I says, well, I don't want that's their festival. It's not. I didn't own a scene of music or anything. But you know what? If I could do something that fits what my brand was about, giving good value, doing something for charity, I, I want to be involved and. Is that with um, the Leone boys? I did that with, uh, with uh, uh, I do it at the uh, Brooklyn Bowl. It's yeah. called the Strange. Last year we did Strange 90s. This year it's Strange 80s. And uh, we got people get up and sing with the house band. It's not punk rock karaoke, but it's actually a, a train. And then we've got a lot of musicians coming this year. I deliver a good value. We have bowling at night. And although it turned into a giant warp tour party last year. Amazing. And, we raised, you know, fifty, sixty thousand dollars for Charity Bomb and Music Cares. Very painless. It was work, but it it painless and it fit what I did. So, you know, it's I, I'm busy all the time, and then working on these brands, and, and you know, I had the brewery, and I helped beatbox beverages, and with Haley Williams at a hair dye company whenever they need something. Um, I was an investor. So, but you know, there's nothing that you miss opening the doors and getting goosebumps. You know, I miss. I think the, I always say, if you don't get goosebumps, it's time to get out. And I think towards the end, I didn't dread. It was just so, there was so much, like, it just stressed that I wasn't enjoying it. And I've always enjoyed what I did. So maybe, you know, but then you miss that opening the doors. And even, you know, I'm not involved in Coachella. I was out there. I saw a hundred friends and a few new bands. Um, I saw this uh, few bands and, and, I kind of go, God, this is still the energy of a live show. There's nothing that beats opening those doors. And I saw the best new little punk band I've seen in a long time, a band called Scowl. I love them. Uh, yeah, yeah. Great band. Yeah. Great female singer. You know, I went up and introduced myself and said, look, you know, and, I, and they, they, I think they knew who I was. And I said, look, I, if I ever do anything again, you're going to be one of my first calls. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com achieve today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? 
For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. You must get still to this day young bands flipping out when they meet you like you know because you helped and and kind of you know mentored and pushed through so many bands that became massive it must be a trip when any young band finds out that you've been watching their show it's almost like a seal of approval um i i I, maybe you know but i i think that you know those kids what's a seal of approval is if you've got kids in the front of the barricade singing as loud as their hearts (laughs) out to you really there's the old guy in the back room that comes up and said you were pretty good might be a thing, but what's a seal of approval in our life is you have kids singing at the front of the barricade, just like people sang in front of the dead Kennedys or myself, maybe with bad religion or people with data. Remember all those generations. And that's what we some some of us forget in punk rock. You know, we we got locked into a time where that's the only thing that that's the punk rock that was important. It's just still important to us. But every week someone's putting out music that's important to someone young. And that's what we need to get back to in punk rock. We need to embrace those young bands. We need to get them out in front of people. Because when I can go in a tent and watch Scowl or you watch Knock Loose, which we did play Warped, but get to play at a place like Coachella. Yeah. And, and then you watch a band like Turnstile, who Turnstile is the coolest punk band in the world right now because they'll play for anyone. That's what punk rock was about. They, didn't over, they don't overthink things. That's yeah. what I like about Turnstile. They're great ambassadors for punk rock because they play. I mean, they play. They, I, you look at the festivals they play. They play with everyone. Where I think for a while there, in the last few years, some of the bands that could have been leaders of this new punk rock movement got too precious. I think when we when people become too precious, their their fan base becomes very. That's what it insular, and they want where they don't want to play for new people. And that's where those bands did so well. That's, you know, Les and Jake, whether they're punk or ska or anything, they would play for anyone. And that's why they, they, they opened for Bon Jovi, didn't they, as one of their favorite stories. I, was, you know, I don't know if you know, I was their manager then. Were you really? Amazing. Yeah. No, I didn't know that. I've toured with them a bunch over the years. And yeah, they've told me that story that um, I guess it had been offered to so many other bands on the uh, booking agency roster and they'd all turned it down because at that point, Bon Jovi were considered old hat and then that song always was it always comes oh, yeah. out well, yeah well, i was actually man- i was actually managing the band at that time and caa was their agent and also who i worked with on work and i heard that bon jovi and i knew that chris and the band liked that kind of 80s rock kind of that sound and i heard that same that they you know no one knew if they were going to be successful and we went and got the offer and i said we'll do it and everyone was like you'll do it okay and I think I think it, they, they were paying us like five thousand dollars a show to open, which is pretty good opening money for an arena show. But they took one day on, one day off, so they let Les and Jake play their own show in that city the next night. So they're making ten thousand dollars, five in the club and five in an arena, and um, and then all of a sudden the, the, they sold out all the arenas, and, and the agent came back and tried to get me to like, hey, you know, we got other bands that want to do this tour and everything. I go, no, we're on it. Yeah. And uh, it, I think it was a good experience for them. Yeah. And and they're one of those bands that have the shtick, right? They can just go out there and, and make light of the awkwardness and turn it into a positive. And... <laughs> they were never trying to upstage Bon Jovi. Yeah. You know, if you had got a younger, 
rock band. They could have tried to upstage him. There was no upstaging. And I think the coolest show was, and this was in Boston. I went out for, I only went out for a couple shows because I, I don't believe a manager needs to travel with their act. I, I'd be doing other things. And I, I went out and I'm, I was sitting in the, on the side of the stage and I was looking up at a crowd and there was like two young girls with their parents. And when Less Than Jake came on, the girls were just dancing, having a great time. And then Bon Jovi came out and they sat down and the two parents jumped up. But then they all kind of looked that they had a great evening out together. And, and sharing music with your children, I think, is so important. And that's why I did that with work with some of those things like let your parents come in, things such as that. Because I thought in a time when an age group when, was kind of struggling with becoming who the I, identity, and you're usually that's the age when you're fighting with your parents, you don't want to be seen with them. How many people came with their parents to work tour? And I'd meet kids and they were all excited. And at first they're shy about their dad there, but then they'd come up at the end and go, Oh my God, my dad loves every time I die. And the dad's like 40 something years old and he's got his new shirt, his every time I die shirt. And that's, I think in the long run, we have strong ties because we, we remember the concerts we went together with people going back to that community. Um, I can go back and tell you the first concert I ever went to Van Morrison. And I can tell you exactly who I went with, exactly what happened that night. And we were, those are touchstone moments. Music brings us together. Punk rock for me is always in my heart. And that's why this museum, when they opened that, I was like, sure. Now, Fletcher had my left arm, but I had my hand on the checkbook on the right arm, feeling pretty good about being involved in it. Yeah. It's funny because I, my whole life has sort of been spent around music and as you grow older and, and you kind of do fall into the trap of only going to adult orientated shows if you don't have kids. So I haven't really been around entertainment that's geared towards children since I was a kid. Right. And then recently I took on a new role and started hosting monster truck shows here in the UK and, and the absolute pure joy that doing those shows gives me because of what it gives the kids and even by default, their parents who go to these shows kind of going, you know, we're only here for little Jimmy or Sally or whatever. And then they go, oh, my God, it's actually a really fun show. And you can't put a price on that and you can't beat it. Like creating memories for families that you know they'll live with forever is the most rewarding experience. And it just goes to, you know, reinforce and remind you that all entertainment, specifically music, um, yeah. should be rooted in just that, the spreading of joy. And it's, it's fun. It's, it's funny. Some, one of my students who I'm helping, she's very talented, this girl, Lily Forte. I, I helped them and she's got a young manager on campus and they did a showcase and sold out a show Monday night, went down to the show. But she came to me about two weeks ago and goes, my mom sent me this photo. When I was 12 years old, I came and heard you speak because I wanted to be in the music business one day and took a photo with her. Now she's my student and now she has a lot of talent. So watching these people grow up that you've touched and, and, you know, you know, it's been a good run, but I, I highly recommend to people that are listening to your show. So many of you have so much experience that was only gained from being a, traveling the world and understanding the world and making your own way. Mentor someone, find someone young right now. They can use, we need mentors out there right now. Uh, we're, we're suffering a, a, a huge amount of mental health issues here in the States, as well as in the UK. I, I think you're going through a lot of this too, but you know what, if you take a little time, spend a little time with someone, maybe invite them down to show, see how you do your job, you know, 
Invite if you're playing a venue, invite someone down, reach out to a music school, invite someone down, invite, you know, just they're gonna be inspired by what you've been able to do with your lives, you know, making your own paths. Um, you know, it's it's and it's it'll be rewarding for you to do it. It's rewarding for it's re it'll be rewarding for you at the end of the day when you get a thank you or that or a letter six months or a year down the road that says hanging out with you today or that day with you at O2 or wherever it is in London inspired me to go do something better or kind of got me on track by watching what you do because you seem to have did it without any rules where I keep saying I want to do it without any rules, but I'm trying to be put in a box by a society. When it comes to living by example and, and trying to work within the frameworks of a, an industry that's based around commerce, but as you say, lead by example and do good, what's been the guiding light for you, like your moral compass? How have you stayed on track and not allowed yourself to be cynical or, you know, kind of jaded? Um, how do you stay inspired and connected to the pure, you know, the purity of the source? I think, you know, it's, it, it, when some people say they're, you know, it, it's, I wasn't driven by money. I, I, we, we say that you hear people say that, look, I was fiscally responsible to my, what I needed to do every day. But if I made a decision solely on making money, it was the wrong decision. It just didn't work out for me. It was something that I did and I could be, you know, my fiscal responsibility was to my family when I had children and a wife and, and then I had employees. I had to be responsible enough there. But 90% of the things that I did in my life really were just because I felt it was right to do. 10% was that I had to be able to make that fiscally. And I got better at that. I got better at making those 10% pretty smoothly, but still allowed me to do what I wanted to do. And, um, you know, hey, I, you know, people go, oh my gosh, you know, you're, and I go, look, I made a living, but I, I don't, I don't, there wasn't Brinks trucks driving out of Warp Tour with that ticket price we charged and what we charge for t-shirts or anything. Um, I made a nice living, probably better than I ever expected in my entire life based on where my trajectory was going. I don't know how much a lifeguard at a swimming pool makes, but I'm sure, you know, it would have been a nice life, but you know, I, I, do, I really wasn't a, a good, I think I was a student of society more than a student of the books. I never was good at books and I'm still not a good professor when it comes straight. Like I have to sit here and grade pay work on them right now and I am the worst, but I think I teach these people how to be part of society and navigate it a little better. And I think that's as important as any book can help. Yeah. It's people that make the world go round, isn't it? And um, what I loved, I didn't particularly love the documentary. I don't think you were involved in it, but the uh, the No Rock Stars documentary about Warped. But what I loved about a couple of the sort of narrative threads in it was the ex-con stage manager and and, and just how um, you know grateful he was to you and the rest of the team for giving him a chance and a future and and then just like all the bus drivers when you when you're doing the cook up for them and and just like acknowledging the efforts of all of the staff you know not just the rock stars not just treating them like stars and then everybody else you know like everybody's equal treat everybody well i love yeah, that. that that documentary was interesting because you know it's hard it was hard to film warp tour because you you went out there and it was a tornado and the person who actually came and filmed that when you really when you really post, I play that for my kids in one of my classes. They get to watch that film just to kind of show where I came from. Um, 
but you really look at the artists that it ended up covering. He shot a bunch of different artists, but I like to tell him, you know, you hate to talk about, you know, uh, but you talk about Christopher Drew, you know, not. And I said, look, here's the backstory to him. He became addicted to pills out on the road when he hurt his ankle and we were able to get him into rehab. We had the resources then to help him. And I said, I renamed his band Never Say Never because they came back and played war to her after he said he never would. Um, tragically, Mitch Lucker was killed on his motorcycle right after that film came out. Yep. Really sad. Um, and then you had... The, the pop star guy. <laughs> oh, yeah, you had uh, Mike, Mike Posner. Uh-huh. Actually became a hippie and walked across America last year. No way. And he got bit by a rattlesnake somewhere out in the desert somewhere. But it really, I think, worked her kind of humble. Like, 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 I liked his, it's fine line. I would say it's, it's a fine line between confidence and cockiness. And he was, tra- he was straddling that all the way. But you saw he changed during that period. And though he was here, he was also becoming humanized a little bit. And I think that tour helped him. And then you got the, you know, forever came calling. I'm like, they're still out on the road in their van. They've done three records on Epitaph. I love those guys. They were great. You know, so, you know, the movie was, you know, post explaining to the students kind of, because they don't know those artists necessarily. You you have to realize so many of these kids now weren't. And then you're like, and Fletcher's still there drinking out of a Pringles can. (laughs) Oh, yeah. You know, and then then there's Fletcher, you know, look at Fletcher's. Fletcher, I know that's going to be Matt, but he's 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 got the biggest heart in the world. He's amazing, yeah. And his his heart, you know, his heart. He leads with his heart, you know, and that persona that that he has, you know, he, he had a he grew he had that became, you become that persona in some ways. But you get him one on one, or you get him over at the house, or we run into him with me and my wife. We have the greatest time. I miss hanging out. I don't get to hang out with him as much because, but I get to now Jimmy and me have a little bit of a ownership in a club together by accident um, in Hermosa beach. Uh, we've got black flags playing there this week and the descendants are playing opening night coming up in, in uh, May and mid May. It's called St. Rock and Hermosa beach. It's kind of a legendary club that a woman bought, but it was a woman who I just helped in business and she's so nice. She's so sweet. And she asked me to help her with her club. And her lineup, and she goes, I want to make it back to what it was. Booking those older punk bands, you could book. I wouldn't book Black Flag and Hermosa Beach maybe back in 1980. But you know what? Those fans are older now. They're going to be happy that they can go see their bands play once in a while. Yeah, Jim gave me the tour when I was out in Hermosa Beach just before the emo cruise. And he you know, kind of showed me like all the places oh, yeah. of historical significance in that little area. And it's, oh, yeah. mad, it's that, mad when you go to those spots and you're like, this is where all of that came from. Mind blowing. Oh, yeah. This, that's how we had a book, Bill Stevenson. I, you know, trust me, an agent was pissed as always because we called Bill and said, hey, you're going to come play St. Rocks and there's the Mexican restaurant right next door. And we took a photo and sent him a photo of the burritos and we said, that'll be catering that night, you know? Um, I mean, you know, and, <laughs> and now they're, yeah, he was, you know, but trust me, you get the call from the agent. You guys can't be calling the bands. I go, that's how we've always been. If we believe that it's good for us and the bands, I think they're going to have a f- such a fun time down there. And the club now has new sound in it. They opened, made the stage bigger. It's going to be really cool. And, you know, there's, like I said, there's always something, I got something to do all day long and I got about a few more minutes to talk to you. And then I got to jump on and straight to, to one the next, the- isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Well, listen, I would love to, I do another podcast with um, Jesse Leach from kill switch engage. 
and oh, um, yeah. we go a lot more into mental health and and kind of more esoteric and deep stuff on that show. And I'd love to have you on there because I think your experiences with seeing the damaging effects that this industry can have, but also what we can do to to prevent, I think it would be an invaluable discussion. And, and we'd both love to have you on that show at some point. Yeah, I can talk you must about have worked with Jesse at some point. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. And, um, you know, and I know they had issues within their own band at times that they were dealing with. And I used to go fishing with Howard a lot. So right on. Yeah, we used to have a good time and, and you know, but I, I could talk about, you know, the 320 Music Festival I did with Talinda Bennington, Chester's wife, on campus with my students. Uh, 320 was uh, Chester's birthday and we've held events on, on campus around his birthday about mental health. Um, you know, I'm lucky to um, be able to donate money to Music Cares each year, a nice check to Music Cares. And uh, yeah, and, and my students, you know, we're taking it much more seriously early on in their careers. Yeah. And um some people get mad at me, as they always do. But I say that, you know, our artists, you know, sadly, if you're in this business, you become a commodity in a way. Lots of people depend on you. And we don't want to compare artists to pig farmers, but I do is kind of a, the, the pig farmer takes care of their prize hog. They want that hog to produce over time and be healthy and around. Our music industry doesn't take care of people over the long haul. We're learning. We need to. Um, that term, the show must always go on. The show always goes on or the must go on. We live that life and we're paying for that now with our bot broken bodies, untreated issues. Um, I learned a lot about substance abuse, being around so much of it, but being the one person that had to stay sober in the middle of the chaos of L.A. when I was running 320 shows a year. And I kept learning more tools because I wish in 1990. Five, I could have done more to help Brad Knoll. And when we lost Brad Knoll, I go, I'm going to learn how to be more proactive, understand signs. And, you know, now I get letters from artists who we intervened on the road at an intervention. I start bringing a counselor and we, and they get letters. And you probably guys probably saved my life at that point because there was no one there, but you guys stepped in and stopped the spiral and gave me another chance. Just like Kenny, the stage manager, we all deserve a second chance. And if we have the tools to provide that, we need to do it. We just can't ignore it. Yeah. Well, let's definitely arrange that and, and continue the conversation yeah. over on there. I think it's, as I say, a valuable one and nobody, well, few people have better insight than, than yourself. And um, I'm going to give you a few minutes to compose yourself before your next call. So I will let you go. However, I've got yeah. to ask you this first, Kevin. What are you cooking up? It's the 30th anniversary or something I did. So it might make sense. There we go. Wouldn't be, a, wouldn't be a 40 city tour. My body wouldn't allow me to do it anymore, but it might be something. A little something. Well, anniversaries are very in vogue right now, aren't they? And yeah. if you've got a big one, be a lot of, I'm going to maybe have to drag out, drag some of my friends together for something. Amazing. All right. I appreciate your time, man. I really enjoyed Thank this. You so much. And, uh, yeah, I'll be in touch and, and let's, let's, um, let's get me, you and Jesse together sometime and, and, and carry on the chat but uh in the meantime enjoy the rest are you gonna of get out day. to see sierra this week it's tuesday that they're in london isn't oh, it they're like three nights there i think yeah yeah i'm gonna get in touch definitely i might do that right now as i get off the call to you yeah. and um yeah hopefully can link up with her i'm in bristol yeah. but i'm gonna be in london the night after so it would time out beautifully yeah, yeah and i'd love to see avril lavigne i've never seen her live oh she's I, she, jesus she's killing it 
I keep yeah. all over Europe doing arenas. Amazing. Yeah. yeah, I think sometimes absence makes the heart grow fonder, and that time away for her made everybody realize how much they love the songs. And uh, and she just seems to be as popular now as ever, which is cool to see. All right, Matt. Take care. Be safe. Thanks, Kevin. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm. 